Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, Constance Wu is our imaginary mom. I relate wholeheartedly to Eddie's obsession with rap music. And Ali Wong gives us permission to lean in or, you know, lie down. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television, the glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Hello. Hi. I beat you to it. How are you? Good. How are you? We have a special guest in we, the Beaver Dam today. We do indeed. Umer Zia. Umer. Hello, everyone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, introduce yourself. You know, who also happens to be my husband. Wow. And I our am, first our male first? guest. You're not speaking right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm Mr. Diana Matthews. <laughs> he is Mr. Diana Matthews. I love it. Umer, thanks for uh, being here. I am excited. Yeah. I heard you actually listen to the podcast. Every, You're a fan. Every single episode. I can't get my husband to listen to it. Although he pretends he lies to me and he says he listens to it, but he doesn't actually. <laughs> I was actually um, looking forward to uh, what Kent said was his favorite episode. And apparently it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's lost at sea forever. It's in the ether. But yeah. But as yeah. long as Kent got to enjoy it, then that's all that really matters. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It happened. He knows it happened. Um, it's funny because you will listen to the podcast on your way home from work. And then when he gets home from work, he's like, I really loved what you said about that one thing on, you know, the app. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I'm listening to Beaver Talk. And I'm like, he thinks you're in mid conversation already. A thousand percent. I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. And then I have to be like, oh, yeah, I totally remember making that really astute point. I love it. Um, but no, we're super excited to have you on today because we're talking about one of your favorite TV shows. Well, a, a TV show I enjoy. Yes. As soon as I said favorite, I knew you were going to jump in and completely <laughs> squash that. Um, today we're talking about Fresh Off the Boat, and we're also talking a little bit about Ali Wong and a little bit about her Netflix specials. It's a mix. It's yeah. a mixed bag. We're going all over. Actually, I have some uh, pop-up questions Hello. for the newlyweds. Okay. That I want to put you guys on the spot whoa, and ask whoa. you. Um, actually, Amara, just this question is only for you for this round, but then we're going to get into it. Um, just wondering, like, what media or, like, was there anything growing up that you were, like, obsessed with or, like, really drawn to? In terms of... Like, uh, as a young person. Whatever, like, film, television, music, whatever. I was obsessed. Uh, I'm a... We need to give the people a little background about you. Sure. I was obsessed with Ninja Turtles for a very long time, uh, a little longer than I was supposed to be into it. I was kind of old when I was like, all right, I think I'm over this. Um, Sal was convinced that the Ninja Turtle, like, great or whatever, was in the Bronx Zoo <laughs> because they had, like, a turtle, like, emboldened on, like, whatever the sewer grates were, and his parents told him that, like, that's where they are. Yeah. And he's, like, obsessed. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I can't top that. Yeah, I'd never been to New York. Otherwise, I would have probably been obsessed with uh, every single surrogate in New York City. Sure, why not? Yeah, and uh, then along came my fascination of uh, very, very masculine action films like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Van Damme movies. Completely obsessed with them. There was no reason to be. <laughs> 
but <laughs> fair enough. It was just the coolest thing. And then I had some weird ones here and there. Uh, th- there were some under the radar. Um, back then, they would have been called chick flicks, mm-hmm. which I hate that term, but uh, it was a '90s term. And uh, the cutting edge was one of my favorites. Okay, so Jonathan, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Umair, tell the people what this is. I forget the uh, actor's uh, actress's name, but as DB Sweeney uh, leads this movie, and DB Sweeney was like a big deal in the '80s and '90s in terms of being a heartthrob actor for a lot of um, uh, for Hollywood, and it was a a badass hockey player who uh, keeps getting into trouble, and then there's a Olympic training figure skater who have to end up training together. I love it already. And they fall in love. Sounds great. And uh, I remember really loving that. I also, there was a uh, Marissa Tomei movie, Untamed Hearts, which I really, really (laughs) loved. So there there was this uh, weird, under the radar, completely secret, soft side to me. I love it. Jonathan Van Ness just did a figure skating episode because he's in love with figure skating. Huge fan. Um, And he gave a huge shout out to The Cutting Edge. Jonathan Van Ness and I are going to do an episode about The Cutting Edge. Oh my God, I would die. On the same page. I would die. All right, now for the couple's questions. Um, What's a piece of media that like they love that you hate? Like, is there something that like... everything we ever watched. (laughs) Like, is there something that, like, Umer loves that, like, you hate, but you watch it anyway? Oh. We actually don't participate with each other's. You don't, like, wait to watch a TV show together or you just do your own thing? We watch stuff together for sure. I think you would say Wrinkle in Time you absolutely hated. Yeah, but I was actually excited for that before going into the movie. Right. Okay. Um, Is there anything? I mean, Umer really loves video games. I don't. Enjoy mm-hmm. the video game. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think what you're wanting to know is, do we participate together on something that the other person doesn't like? Sure, yeah. The closest thing I can come to is, she is a lot more open to going to, um, I say, quote unquote, open to punk rock shows with me, mm-hmm. which is not her realm at all. But when I toss out the idea, she's like, I'll come with you, which yeah. I wouldn't do. Yeah, we toss- <laughs> <laughs> We saw Sum 41 last couple weeks ago, and it was magical. Um, I actually really liked that she really enjoyed it. it. I liked it a lot. Um, I would say, uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you think about it. Okay. Um, Umar, who's your favorite Sex in the City character? Samantha. Are you a Samantha? Uh, I identify with her the most. Hmm. How so? Tell us more. Because uh, she does not care Mm -hmm. about tradition. She doesn't care about what is normal, but she still maintains a sort of integrity Mm -hmm. uh, without really saying F the system. That's true. She kind of operates within without, but it's very true. Yeah, She's incredibly punk rock. There you go. Um, How many movies have you guys seen together? Almost every single one. Yeah, we've watched all the movies. No, I think this year, 18 so far. Yeah. What's the first movie you saw together? Oh my God, was it? Im- wow. Oh my God, was it? I um, should know this. Battle was... of the Sexes? No. I remember getting a big <laughs> fight about that. That was like 20 in. No, yeah. was it? Yeah. 
What is it? We went and saw a movie. Yeah. We went and saw a movie with friends before we told anyone we were dating. So we were like secretly holding hands. Was it Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. No, it wasn't Beauty and the Beast. We haven't seen Beauty and the Beast. Well, yeah, it was some movie at the big IMAX at uh, Lincoln Center. How can you remember the location but not the movie? Because she was sitting next to me and was distracting you. And I was just like, we can't hold hands right now. <laughs> Because no one knows. I think we also saw the cube or the vortex or something. The the Emma Watson one. The square, yeah. With what's his face in it? Tom Hanks. Yeah, I remember that telling one we you saw hated that. It's really oh, bad. God awful. God awful film. What's but, the? That was the first film. Was it? Yeah. That was the first film we saw together. Glad we got to the bottom of that Nailed one. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, what's the first like feminist argument you've gotten into? Do you remember? Um, you're very feminist. Which I, I think is the only reason we were able to date. I'm very curious. <laughs> uh, so I always bring up what has been a, an idea in my head that it's instilled there, but I come in with curiosity. And I was like, hey, what is this? I'm thinking this way. What is wrong with that idea? Is there something wrong with that idea? And she kind of debunks it for me mm -hmm. or kind of leads me. And I'm not saying I'm like malleable, but I'm very curious. Yeah. And uh, this is a new space for me where the the politics is being molded for me um but every time she explains something yeah i i kind of go with that so that's the fundamental of everything i also think that you know all the harvey weinstein stuff was happening when we were about six months into dating mm -hmm. so i think we just we had to have like really what some people might consider confrontational and difficult conversations off the bat about like I wanted to talk about it all the time and you were very like open to those conversations and we've had talk you know conversations about Aziz Ansari since we've had conversations that about That would be the the closest we've had a, a kind of a disagreement is the whole Aziz Ansari what that did to the Me Too movement. I don't think we're disag I don't think we're disagreeing about it though so much as like you're coming at it from the perspective of someone who you know has come up through like fraternity sorority culture has come up as a young man in the world and I think that you bring to it a perspective that I don't have. Correct. Um, we actually were having a very heated conversation about that on the train one time and a guy was like clearly listening to us and I think he was like pretending to read his magazine but he was like not at all reading the magazine and he was like it was great. Did he want to chime in or no he was just oh, terrified? There he were was terrified. definitely moments it looked like he wanted to jump in. Yeah, really? but he, like, but her and I noticed, and we didn't even acknowledge it. It's only after, <laughs> yeah, because you're just kind of in the moment of yeah. your conversation. Yeah, I also kind of wish he had been like recording, and we got that recording because <laughs> we were on fire on that conversation. But I think that's kind of the probably the closest we've come is like not necessarily disagreeing, but kind of debating. Yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. That's it. That was my fire storm round. I almost forgot why we're here in the first of place. Q and A's. <laughs> Just wanted to get a little insight. Oh, I go to a lot of comic book movies with you, too, that I would not go to as a single <laughs> woman. So that's something I sit through. That's something I endure. And stand-up comedy. I just remembered. Oh, my God. So much stand-up comedy. A lot. So there you go. Wow, that is he's making. Lot. He's not meeting me halfway anywhere. Halfway anywhere, you'll see. You got to go to more Times Talks or something. I don't know yeah. what to tell you. All about it. He What's loves your it. thing, Diana? It is. I go to a lot of Times Talks. You know, they're really doing a great job. Well, your friend Adrian is a big part of that. Is he? Mm-hmm. He's, he's what got Ava DuVernay here. I'm pretty sure, like he's totally influenced their programming. 
Love it. I was supposed to go say Andre Leon Talley, but I saw that too. Did I send that to you? You did. And then it's like you can't go to all of them though. I just can't. They're forty bucks. They're kind of expensive. They're like fifty with the processing fees. If he was doing it with Anna Winter, (laughs) we could go every week. (laughs) If he was doing it with Anna Winter, I would a thousand percent. Wow, that'd be great. But as it stands, I didn't know the other woman. So what can you do? So I'm not there. All right. Well, back to our topic, our regularly programmed topic here. The task at hand. Um, Ali Wong crushing the stand-up comedy game with her second Netflix special, Hard Knock Wife. Mm-hmm. And then she's also a writer of Fresh Off the Boat, which apparently we're all fans of, which we were going to talk about. I'm a fan of it. I don't love the like the like network TV comedy vibe. A little bit of it is too on the nose for me. I feel like there's something kind of cathartic about that kind of format of television because you know it's safe and you can just like turn it on and like you're not going to Handmaid's Tale yourself. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you just need to like get a palate cleanser and like have a great time with a family you don't know. I never thought about it that way, but you're very correct about that. I never thought about it that way. It, it It is a complete escapist show for me. Mm-hmm. I never, never saw it as that way. I just thought it was like, oh, it's actually some clever writing for a family sitcom. It's very formulaic, but it's clever. For sure. And I feel like, you know, we didn't really grow up in like the heyday of like real television or I don't remember as a young person really watching anything that was super thought provoking. So I think there's something kind of nostalgic about it, too, that I feel like it's fun to create space for. And yeah. I like the family, too. I think they're like super fun and I love the grandma and it's a great dynamic the grandma played Constance Wu is everything oh Constance it's just so fun yeah it is fun I I was like kind of a hater of it for a while because I just don't like I just don't like that aesthetic I don't like that vibe Mm -hmm. it's never been something that's appealed to me but after watching Ellie Wong's special I kind of I had seen a few episodes here and there and after seeing your special, I was like, okay, I need to like figure out what this is about. So I watched more of it and I watched, to your suggestion, Zumer, I watched the episode where Biggie Smalls dies and Eddie has to like go into mourning. That is my <laughs> favorite so episode. So funny. I loved it. I loved, and, and I love the family, as you said. I think that their dynamic is so much fun. I love how natural they all are with each other and nothing feels contrived. Um, but Umer, you're actually the same age as Eddie on the show. Pretty close, yeah. I think we're like a, a year or two apart. I'm, uh, I was born in 80, and of course, Eddie's a teenager during uh, when Fresh Off the Boat starts, which is 94, and essentially it lines up exactly where I was. So I relate a lot to Eddie himself. And uh, for people who don't know, it's, uh, Ed, um, Fresh Off the Boat is based on a book by Eddie Wong, who is actually a real person. And it's uh, loosely, the first season was loosely based on his real upbringing. I think something that's also kind of interesting about the show is I feel like they seamlessly blend, you know, kind of being um, American with like Chinese culture and kind of how they walk the line of kind of feeling out what's best for them. I'm wondering, Umer, if you've like really resonated with that with your roots in Pakistan and then, you know, being in Texas, which is like as American as you can Mm -hmm. get. Yeah. Did you feel that way? Yeah, up? Uh, my mom and dad are Pakistani. I'm Pakistani descent. Uh, grew up U.S. military in the Middle East, and then also Europe, and like ending up in Texas. And Texas, what I claim, quote unquote, as home. Um, but 
just the dynamics of where the parents have to play the roles of what is why they are in America, why they are associated with America versus what the kids whose main culture now is American, what they have to deal with. And what I really love about the show is it does not, it doesn't play on the culture and race topic as a main thing. You just exist in this world where they're just different people in America and you get their story. So it's not pushing an agenda ever. It never feels like that. Once in a while- I feel like sometimes like even with her immigration papers, they definitely go there with like, oh, now this is a problem and she needed to, I can't remember if she was renewing a visa or what happened, but I think there are like moments where they definitely like touch in and kind of remind you. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely done in such like a fluid way. Like you said, it's like so natural. Like this is just where we're at and we're just so dropped in and we're so connected to the family that like we're all in anyway. Correct. And the the best part is uh, one of the uh, season finales, I think it was a year ago, it's when she gets her green card or citizenship. Um, they have this realized American dream come true where uh, one of their kids has an opportunity to go to a private school, like affluent private school, and they get this extra money because Michael Bolton bought <laughs> in the, and like that whole dynamic is just so funny. It's pure comedy writing and it's just, it's just like so underhandedly funny. But they have this opportunity to buy a big house and they move into it and they realize that the American dream is not the answer, the, uh, like the, what the traditional meaning of American dream is, just to move up, move up, uh, consume more, be together with family and make something bigger of yourself. That is not the answer. It, American dream is what you make of it. And that's what I connected with a lot because my parents moved here and having a dad who worked for the military forever and finally having to be a civilian where you have to pay taxes because in the military, you pretty much get a free pass on everything. Uh, he was just like, oh, this American dream's really hard. You have to pay attention to everything, which when you're in a kind of a socialist system of the military, you don't have to pay attention to a lot. Yeah. That's true. Interesting. I also love it's like in one of the very first episodes when Eddie is obviously bringing Chinese food for lunch and he opens it up and all the kids are like, ew, gross. Get that out of here. Go sit over there. What are you doing? Get like get out of our lives. And so Eddie throws out his lunch and he's really, really hungry at dinner time one night. And Constance Wu was like, why are you so hungry, Eddie? And she basically catches him in a lie and is just like, why are you throwing out your lunch? That's such a waste of food. And he's just like, mom. I need to take an American lunch. He's like, I need a seat at the table. And it's like, (laughs) I just like loved it. I loved how like, he's like, if I'm gonna move up in this world, I need to be one of them. But then you see like following out from that, he's so himself and he's unapologetically who he is. And he talks about Biggie Smalls all the time. He talks about Tupac. It's like so clever how they have him how they really shine his personality through and they really just allow him to like be a like quirky little eighth grader. It's so much fun. Yeah, and as uh, the oldest brother in my uh, family, uh, the, the oldest of the all the siblings in my family, I relate a lot to Eddie in that sense too because Eddie gets to exist as his own thing. He is wearing the baggy clothes. He's listening to hip hop music. He is hanging out with um, people that don't look like he's like a couple white friends uh, 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 
a token black kid almost <laughs> uh, on the sh on the show, and it breaks away from those um, categories eventually. At first, it's presented as token nerd kid, uh, squeaky uh, small kid, and uh, and then he's allowed to exist in this world because his parents. Their only focus is that he does well and that he's a good kid. They don't take no interest in his interests and uh, the kind of music he likes, the kind of shows he watches. And my family was the same way. Get good grades and be a good kid. We have no interest in the punk rock stuff that you're into. We have no interest in the guitar. Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> we can throw it all it's away. It's all noise. Yeah. I know at one point Eddie quotes Nas to his father, and I'm just like, this is the greatest thing. <laughs> I love so that he funny. also like made up all those imaginary holidays, because he's like, these white people don't know. So he's like, when I can't remember if it was his middle school brother or the younger one, when he came up, he's like, oh no, like you have to, like we always sit in the back because it's like superstitious. And he like makes up all these stuff to trick. It's so good. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. really funny. And uh, one of my favorite episodes is he gets to go to a Beastie Boys concert. That is like an unrealized dream, dream <laughs> that I will never have. And Beastie Boys is one of my favorite bands. And it's a dream I will never have. And uh, I, part of me really, really connects to that show because he gets to experience, like I'm reliving my youth through that show again. Man, Umar, who knew? Damn. Fresh off the boat was really like this. Little treasure trove. Yeah. yeah. And by no means, uh, don't get me wrong, it's not a perfect show. It's kind of like a very predictable show, but it's just I'm really close to it. Yeah. That's why I really enjoy it. Well, before we started recording, you said Constance Wu is your mother. Can you please tell me more? <laughs> Diana would like to know. Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, um, people, like the, the stereotype is of Pakistani families that women are subordinates and the men are the the, the leader and the bread. Uh, winners, I think that's the stereotype in every family, but continue. <laughs> yeah, but like especially yeah, sure. in brown cultures, like Indian Pakistani uh, cultures. And my mom was, you could say, the example of feminism without me having a title what that was. Um, my mom just carried the family through everything, and she definitely wears the pants between my mom and dad. And uh, she gets her way all the time, and she commends shit. She's like, pay attention to this. This needs to be done. And uh, her approach is very cutting, just like Constance Wu's character, Jessica. It's very cutting, lots of smart ass answers and really quippy things. My mom's really sharp and really quippy things to put you in your place, to make you reflect <laughs> on how dumb you're being. And I was like, all right. And uh, luckily it made me a stronger person, but it would have been interesting growing up in that household. I moved out of my house when I was 15, so I didn't get the complete package, but yeah. Where did you go? I, I lived in England in a dormitory. Well, there you go. You yeah. went to school. You just like go to England. You were like, for bye, dorm. bye. Go on to England. Yeah. Um, does, so then is her relationship with Eddie similar to the relationship you have with your mom? Yeah, yeah, um, it, it's, a lot of pressure is put on the oldest son because parents rely on the oldest child to be the example and the caretaker. Like they pass the baton to you. Like, hey, help out with these duties. Help out with the siblings. Help out uh, with these errands around the house. So those that kind of expectations put on Eddie Wong and you see him just huffing and puffing through most of the show at his parents' request. Where um, the dad, uh, I forget his name, uh, Randall Park. 
he is nothing like my dad. My dad's very serious. Randall Park is just a goofy little character that I love. He's amazing. Yeah. So to riff off of that, Eddie Wong, the real Eddie Wong, uh, dropped out in season two because of a disagreement he had with ABC, the network, um, because he wanted to change the Randall Park's character to be more strict. And his, I guess his dad growing up was quite cutting, quite strict, quite mean. Um, and he wanted that to be more autobiographical in the portrayal of the show. And they refused because they were like, Randall Park is a delight and there's no way we can convince people <laughs> that he's mean and that's not going to fly. Yeah. Um, so that's why the voiceover narration dropped out was because Eddie just stayed on as executive producer. But otherwise, he has no um, ties to the show anymore, which is kind of an interesting departure i totally forgot there was voiceover narration yeah because that hasn't carried through right yeah. it was yeah. just the first season huh okay mm -hmm. yeah so that's a fun little quip interesting fun facts <laughs> yeah. um and an ali wong special or not yeah did i say that right ali did, wong yeah. um i'm all over the, my notes are Goddamn mess. <laughs> I feel like I don't even know what I'm looking at. Anyways, we watched Baby Cobra and Hard Knock Wife. And what I really love about her comedy style is that she like slides feminist issues in very cleverly to an audience that like might not otherwise be listening to them. Like she talks about maternity leave and she talks about I love her whole like lean in, lie down strategy is absolutely hilarious and how at the end it turns out she makes more money than her husband and she trapped him and I think it's really, really clever and I wanted to just give a shout out to that because I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a great special. It's super, it's super fun. It's super feminist. Uh, I thought that was actually the best part of it was when she talked about money. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times when we think about breadwinners, we think about the discomfort and the insecurity that it brings out in men. Yeah. And she recalls this conversation with her mother where her mom's like, oh, isn't he not going to feel like, you know, a man if he's not making the money? And he's like, no, he's a man who likes free money <laughs> like what is the problem yeah um and her owning that space of her wealth was i don't think i've ever heard anything like that before i look I thought forward that was... to the day where diana is way way more successful than me. <laughs> not because i want to live off of her just because i can go my wife's a badass that may be the same day you go to a beastie boys concert <laughs> i have a i actually have a post-it note on my dream board because lisa renna and the housewives talks about how she does this QVC, she sells these dusters, and she's like, one day of working at QVC, I can pay for Harry Hamlin's entire salary, her husband's. So she's like, this is why I do it, so that he can take the roles he wants to do. And so I, I have a thing on my dream board that's like, be Lisa Renna <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah, I love it, because I mean, her husband, she talks about her husband is, is he a Harvard business grad? Mm -hmm. And he works for a tech <laughs> company and like I mean he's just like on paper the most successful human being on the planet he's also in the industry oh is he mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting yeah he's like a TV personality oh cool mm -hmm. um but then she talks about how she's a stand-up comedian slash writer who got a degree in ethnic studies <laughs> <laughs> from UCLA but what I love about that I read a great article and I wish I had written, written down the name of the author but I read a great article about how that degree in ethnic studies is what makes her so smart as a writer and as a comedian and how her sticking with something that I mean everybody and their dog would tell you not to do actually is where her power comes from it's where her like sharp and keen intellect on racial commentary um, derives from which I think is really interesting. And I haven't seen the new special, but I remember the original special from a couple of years ago, uh, Baby Cobra. Mm -hmm. um, 
I remember loving how she was an exaggerated, uh, her onstage personality is an exaggerated character of herself. And that's, while still telling a real story, and that to me is just comedy goldmine. Diana knows I'm a complete comedy nerd, so I pay attention to what people bring to the table. And I'm very, very critical about what is good comedy versus versus bad comedy. Like Dane Cook is not good comedy. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> we burn bridges on Beaver Talk. Well, she's such an actress, even watching the special, like her faces, every face is so planned. And it feels so authentic because it's so in the moment and she's really exaggerating the thoughts she's saying. But like, I remember, I think the special is like a little bit over an hour and I was like, she's still going with the faces. She's like, that's and that's a lot of work to give the audience, like mm-hmm. continually playing that role. I mean, it's like a one woman show at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, it almost to me isn't stand up comedy. It kind of ventures out of that world for me because it is so performative. Yeah. While still, like you said, adhering to very serious, like she's talking about real stories, she's talking about her life, but. Um, yeah. She's transforming. It felt a little like Hassan Minaj to me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, another one I yeah. recommend to everybody. Hassan Minaj's three, oh no, um, Homecoming. Homecoming King? Homecoming King. There you go. And Neil Brennan's three mics. <laughs> I was like, now you have to. Um, but yeah, it reminded me of Hassan, Hassan Minaj's Homecoming King in the way that it's very performative. Yeah. I also think I'm wondering, I was thinking a lot about maternity leave because of what she says. You know, she says it like she names it a couple of times in the special of like, and this is why women need maternity leave. And I'm wondering if, you know, comedy has such a way of ringing truths to us that sometimes we're too stubborn or, like I remember once my brother was telling me that a lot of politicians use try to use comedy, I mean, very lightly, because <laughs> comedy is a message that transcends if people are on opposite sides of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking a lot about like, do we need more women talking about their experience? Like where where's the disconnect between our country actually offering women not just six weeks, but like actual maternity care yeah. and paternity care. And I feel like her even just doing, you know, I think like 30 minutes of that um, stand up special was around the pain of it, her body, you know, her relationship to her friends, her relationship to her partner, um, which is, I think is really transformative also. And I'm wondering if we need, like, what do we got to do here to like get people to get that like, having a baby is a major surgery yeah and that you're actually going to need support and time and your body to fucking heal mm-hmm. we just need to talk way more about it yeah and we need to tell people that it's not just that you need time off because you're taking care of a new life it's like you need time to off feed to every two hours right it's that you need to recover your body yeah, yeah. from I mean, what it's gone through completely on the outside as a as a dude like the only thing i keep observing is people keep focusing on the child and they completely neglect the mother or uh side of it i was like oh the mother needs some attention that's why i like i i'm excited about this movie tully too for the same oh, reason it's gonna be so good yeah i'm excited about tully we're gonna do an episode we are love it <laughs> We're um, committing to it. <laughs> Were we not committed to I it? I don't think it's on our list, but now it is. Oh, my God. I don't think it was before. It must have been. It was on Maybe our I'm list. Lying. Get a grip. <laughs> <laughs> it is now. Um, cool. I love it. Yeah. Any other thoughts about anything? Fresh off the boat? 
Ali Wong, otherwise related? Um, the only thing I will say, there's an episode with Jessica, um, Constance Wu's character, it deals with Eddie Wong's character's, uh, what's his name? Um, I forget the name, but a, a, his girlfriend that he's had a crush on for a while comes out to mm, him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they end up in a lesbian bar. And uh, the, aren't the, they all, like all playing Melissa Etheridge like yeah. every and hour or something? It's like the only thing on the jukebox. Jessica is completely oblivious to the fact that they're in a uh, she's in a lesbian bar, <laughs> but she's like everybody's so friendly here. <laughs> and uh, eventually, her son's friend comes out to her it's the first person she comes out to and she's so accepting of it and it's like a really really sweet moment especially considering it was the 90s where some awful things were still happening towards uh, homosexuality in general and I remember my best friend in college uh, sorry in high school actually came out to me and I remember I told my parents and I this is a topic that never came up uh, we never discussed anything sex related. And uh, I told him, <laughs> my buddy just came out to me and uh, he's gay. And my mom and dad, the kind of response I didn't expect, they were like, oh, is he, is he okay? Is he in trouble? Are you okay with this? And they were so, it reminded me so much of Jessica's character and that they were along with it. And that's when I was like, my parents are cool. <laughs> my <laughs> parents are that. cool. Now I'm mad nobody came out to me in high school. That is kind of sad. Yeah. Well, there's still time. <laughs> 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 I love it. All right, is it, are we time? It's time to wrap it up, guys. Say happy Feminist Wednesday. Yeah, like and review us and give us all the stars on all of the platforms. Yes, and if you want Diana and I or Omer to review something, give you unsolicited advice, <laughs> email us at beavertalkpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks to Kent, and thanks to the Atlantic Transmission Podcast Network. Thank you, Kent. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday, guys. Take care, all. Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!